Hello, and welcome to the Scuttlebutt. If you're current or former service and you're looking to live an average life and keep the status quo, you tapped into the wrong podcast. That's actually the next one down because here we're about winning. Now, how do we do that? We study history from the people who have done it. On the show, we talk to entrepreneurs, film producers, executives, and more, all who have served in the military to learn how to make better decisions, think clearer, and make more money. I'm your host, Brock Briggs. Thanks for tuning into my conversation today with the Chief Smoking Officer, Joey Dizon. You're about to hear how Joey turned his time in the Marine Corps into a business selling a million dollars worth of cigars a year. In this conversation, Joey explains why people are so foundational to our experiences in life how to approach a service-based business that keeps you at the top of your customer's mind, and how he develops world-class salesmen. Another couple less serious pieces I really enjoyed, he walks through the process that tobacco undergoes from plant to actually smoking a cigar, and also makes some really good recommendations on Filipino food. Joey was a riot to talk to. He's motivated and hungry the exact way that we want to be. Please enjoy this conversation with Joey Dizon. I can tell like first thing right off the bat here that you have a sense of humor, which really makes sense that you were in the Marine Corps and is, and is, makes it even better that you made a joke right off the gun that I wish I was recording for talking about your sex life. Uh, so I'm not, I know that I'm not going to be able to pull that out of you. Uh, Joey, I'm, I'm happy to have you on today. I would love to kind of hear what gets you started in the Marine Corps and uh, talk a little bit about your early career life because you you've been, you've been there, done that. You have uh, had your toes in a lot of different ponds. Yeah, no, you know, I've always known, uh, especially when I was younger, um, I just, I just knew that I wanted to be in the military. You know, I, I joined, you know, back then Boy Scouts. I love team things. I like uh, challenges and that played a pretty big role in my life. And back then I, I wanted to join the army. Right. Because that's all I knew, you know, and I, I always got like, I remember buying those little, um, those green miniature toys, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah. And dude, I'll be like in my room, just, you know, and I, the funny part was like, I'm an only child, so I'll just play by myself. And it was just like, I'll just be doing that, you know, watching movies. I was very into history. And uh, one day I was, it was, it was in high school. And I had a good friend of mine, his father is a Marine, and uh, he knew I wanted to join the military, he knew I wanted to join the army. And at that time I was in the marching band, you know, I played an instrument. Uh, and we were doing this parade in my town and there was uh, a Marine Corps League tent there. And he goes, hey, I want you to introduce you some guys. And these guys, you know, older fellas, right? And he's like, hey, bros, this is uh, Joey Mack. You know, he wants to join the army. And they ball busted me for like a solid like 10 minutes. I was just like, you know, you know what army stands for? Ain't rage be Marine yet. And all these other like kind of like jokes that are like corny, but kind of funny, you know. Mm -hmm. And I just they then they started talking about the Marine Corps and, uh, you know, about what it meant to them. And at that point in time was when I was like, I remember walking back because it was like uh, I grew up in New Jersey and it was like a 
it was like a St. Anthony's, you know, like a parade. And we ended at church and we're going up the stairs. And I remember I pulled his dad, uh, Mr. Longo aside. And I was like, you know what? I want to join the Marine Corps. And dude, that's what started it. It was just like someone talked to me, talked about how, how it meant to them, what challenges it meant. Cause like no one in my family like really served. Um, so I, and I didn't grow up with people that served around me. I was just very interested in, in that, in that culture, in that environment. So that's what pretty much set me of like doing the path of joining the Marine Corps. When I was What's... like, in, in like maybe four, 15, 16, ninth grade, mm-hmm. wherever age we're on. So yeah. It's interesting that they've led with that, like what it meant to them. And I yeah. think that that is very representative of how the Marine Corps is generally. They There is like a sense of pride in that branch that is just unmatched by any yep. other branch. You walk into any other branch of a recruiting office and they're not telling you how much it means to them. Like they're, they're talking to you about, Hey, here's this cool job that you can go do. And like the, the pitching is much, much different. So that's interesting. But uh, I think that that aligns with what I know about the Marine Corps. That's for sure. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. Uh, yeah. I got to ask, like, you know, it's, it's all the stories I hear, like, why did you join the Marine Corps? It's all of the challenges. Sometimes it could be family members, the stories, you know, uh, but it's pretty cool just to hear from people that are just like, I was just inspired by someone else. And I was like, dude, I want to do the same thing. I want to change my life like that. So that was pretty cool. Sometimes that's all it takes, you know, and oh, yeah. being at a point in your life when you're maybe like looking for that thing, particularly it's, you know, <laughs> sometimes I feel like uh, looking back on being like a younger man and being in kind of like an, maybe not impressionable, but especially during that time of your life where like, if somebody had a strong opinion about anything, they would probably be able to convince you of it. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. Uh, You said that you were, you're interested in history and you got your degree. Is it while you were in? Yep. Yep. So while I got, I got, so I wanted to apply to the academies, right? And this is going through that mentorship you were just talking about. I wish I had more of that. You know, I think I think positive mentorship or just having someone with inspiration just talk to you, I think just helps push you to the next level, right? Mm-hmm. I wish I had more of that in my life. Like, you know, I grew up in a household where, you know, my mom took care of me and I was the only child and she's, you know, she I'm first generation born here. I think it's just like everything that I've done in my life, I've had some sort of mentor and inspiration that kind of pushed me to the right way, right? And then, so when I was going to the academy, you know, trying to get into the academies, my cousin was attending Norwich University. And I remember I, uh, we had a family vacation. It was like in California, there's a bunch of us. And I remember him, he was just like, he was like playing the piano. He was like cooking, like all the family was like, oh, Gene's in like, he's going to this military school. And I was just like, so in awe. And I was just like, man, this guy's awesome. Like I, I, and I told him, I was like, Hey, I'm playing the cat. He's like, Hey, you should, you should look at the Norwich university. It's up in Vermont. You should go check it out. And I said, oh, yeah, absolutely. So I, I went up there. I did, you know, I did a night, a night stay and he was still going to school there. And I didn't know how much of an impact he had on that in the university. Cause a lot of people were asking if I was his cousin, uh, Gene, my cousin's name is Gene. Are you Gene's cousin? I was like, yeah. But I was like, what the hell, you know? Um, but, you know, he just made a lot of friends, built a lot of great networks and connections. So I applied to, and you know, it's funny. I was one of those kids, like, uh, you know, I was on the Honor Society, 
played an instrument. You know, I was a varsity athlete. Uh, you know, I did extracurricular activities. And then my, my counselor was like, so what do you want to do? I was like, I'm going to join the Marine Corps. <laughs> she goes, what? <laughs> like, she's like so much talent. And, and, uh, <laughs> You know, we'll probably talk about my ASVAB score because the guy was like, hey, what do you want to do in the Marine Corps? You got a pretty good score. I forgot what it was. But, you know, he goes, do you want to do this, this, that, you know, cooler things? Like, nah, dude, I want to join the infantry. He goes, so. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, you know, I really want that's the thing that I wanted to do in my entire life. So so I told her, I was like, uh, she's like, did you apply to any colleges? I go, yeah, I applied to one. She goes, what well, if you get in? I'm like, then I'll just go active duty. She goes, you should apply to other colleges. Like, nah, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go all in on this college. If I don't get accepted, I'll just go active duty and then figure it out afterwards. Right. And then, so I got accepted and, uh, three days after I graduated high school, got, got, I had a party in my house and then two, 3 AM, my recruiter picked me up. I went straight into the airport, right to Paris Island, graduated September 23rd. Uh, you know, I called the school. I told them, like, hey, listen, you know, I'm going to be, I mean, this is before. I'm like, hey, I got to go to boot camp. Then I got I got my S, uh, infantry school after SOI afterwards. So I could probably come in in January for the uh, spring semester. I said, okay, cool. So I did that. And so my whole game plan during that whole time was, all right, the military, go to the school, become an officer, get out, and then. And then, you know, stay in the military. But of course, life changes uh, throughout the whole thing. But yeah, I studied history in, in college. Uh, any particular like specialty in history that really interests you or or anything? I mean, there's certain points like I'm, I'm always fascinated with like all the, you know, the Re Roman Greco uh, history, um, military history is always great. Cultures are great. I love traveling. Like when I travel, I look at two things, like the historical structure of the said location and of course the food, you know, food is a, uh, is a big thing. Like if I go, if I'm traveling, I want to taste the food because that's when you can taste people's culture. So, I mean, obviously I don't know if people, I don't even know if this is on video, but if you can't see me, I'm a pretty big boy. <laughs> <laughs> Just like to eat. That's all. I'm, I'm in the exact same boat. So. Uh, yeah, yeah it, you do learn so much about a place and especially that's where I think that that's going to be an interesting thread that will probably come up a lot in this conversation and something that I've heard and like listened to you talk about is this very like experiential thing and like how important that is and food is the place where like I mean I didn't like grow up in like a small town or whatever but my family like the dinner table was where it was oh. going down. Like we had sat down at the dinner table every night. Anytime like families coming into town, it's the, the question is like, oh, not what do you want to do? It's like, well, what are we going to eat? Like, what, what, what are we going to do? And like the food is what kind of like bonds people, um, <laughs> at least in my family. And and I think that that's, that's prevalent in other cultures as well. But oh, I agree. I, I mean, when I, where I grew up, it was a uh, town called Belleville, a lot of Italians. And most of my best friends growing up you know I, I had uh different I guess ethnic friends I don't know whatever I don't know what the PC culture is whatever that I had a bunch of friends from different cultures but like it was like predominantly Italian like all my best friends all their last names ended with a vowel you know what I'm saying and so it would be me and my mom and my uncle and we would just you know they would invite us to Thanksgiving to Christmas and you know, food, you know, even for us uh, being, you know, I'm Filipino, you know, we got that Spanish culture in us that we love that like, you bring 
you bring tons of food and that's where that's how you uh that's how you party you know what i'm saying <laughs> so mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely what is the for maybe somebody that is unversed and like maybe doesn't know any better and i'm speaking about myself here what is the best filipino dish that you think exists all right so i'll give i'll give my i'll give my okay here's to try it out so there's something called lumpia which is kind of like oh, an yeah, egg roll yeah. Yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of people. If you've met a Filipino, you definitely had a lumpia or something. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. It, it's funny. Each family, because there's like over a thousand islands in the Philippines, right? So each family kind of has their own kind of way and style. So that's kind of like unique in itself. And then there's something called pancit, which is like a noodle dish, which you know that has influences from Chinese or Chinese descent of just noodles and pan frying it and just adding from vegetables to different proteins. Pretty solid. Now, if you want to go pretty good, it's uh, it's like a Filipino breakfast. It's called it's like longonisa, so it's kind of like our version of like the chorizo. That with fried eggs and garlic fried rice, or or like you could put like spam. So terrible for you, but so delicious. You know, it's, it's definitely that sounds unbelievable. My, <laughs> yeah, it's one of my top five breakfasts. If if I have that in front of me, I'm like I'm devouring it. And a lot of people who've had had it are like, wow, what is this? So it's pretty good. It's pretty solid. Uh, it's funny you mentioned fried rice. The uh, I never knew that like rice was something that would be eaten for breakfast until I joined yeah. the Navy, actually. Uh, and because they served, um, I was joking with Michael Pakota, a guy that I had on a couple episodes back and, uh, because he, he talked a bunch of shit about it, but they served this thing on the boat called breakfast rice. And it's yeah. just like, they made rice and it's just like the vegetables left over from the night before. And it is yeah. so good. Like throw some eggs in there and of course, Absolutely. hot sauce on everything. Oh yeah. yeah. Hot sauce, a little soy sauce, a little pepper, you know, it's just simple, and you just fry that. Can we curse on this thing? Yeah, let it fly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, can I? Am I clear to go? Uh, no, and dude, you, you just fry that up, and it's such a great, great dish. But yeah, my family breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I try not to eat too much rice because obviously it's not that. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty hefty. But uh, mm-hmm. but breakfast, lunch, and dinner, like Filipinos eat that. Oh well, a lot of Asians do that. So right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> You said that you're uh, a first generation, like born in the U.S. Do you think that there were, like in hindsight, were there any like cultural things that were maybe working for you or working against you, like growing up and kind of going through this time that have kind of like shaped your life from the the very beginning? You know what, man? Uh, I always say this, like I didn't have a lot of family around. But a lot of friends became family. Okay. And and the people that I hung around with, like it's true what they say, man. Whoever you hang around with, it's kind of like, show me your friends, show me your future. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of the people that I hung out with were good people. And and you know, my mom worked like two or three jobs. And sometimes I'll be just home with my uncle, and then you know, I, I had no brothers and stuff, and or or siblings. I would invite friends over and we'd just hang out, you know, back in the day when we had no cell phones, you just ride bikes to each other's house and just play some video games, card games, or play, you know, we had a little basketball hoop at the end of our block that, that was like awesome. And so I think growing up in the kind of like that blue collar, like neighborhood where the kids are just like, it was different back then, you know, 
uh, like we said, there was no cell phones. Video games were just like two players, you know what I'm saying? And you're just like taking turns, you know, just passing the control around and just having it. There's no such thing as internet. It was just like, it was like fun. And I think growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, because I'm, I'm an 87. So it's kind of like we're in that transition of technology and how it shaped our world today. So we're like, we're with the family that didn't have like the computer or the internet and we're growing up with it. So everything's new. And then we're growing, you know, with what it is today. So mm-hmm. culturally, you know, um, like I said, a lot of my, my mom allowed me to, you know, you know, she had this one rule. She was like, you know, every time a friend came over, I got to meet the parents. I get it. I get it now. But it would be so funny. I'm like, bro, you can't come over until my mom meets your mom. So, so I like drag them. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, dude, we got to make this happen so we can hang out. And so, yeah. so they would meet and then we'd be like, yes, we can hang out. You know what I'm saying? Uh, because, you know, it's she wants to know who's like, I'm the only son, you know. But uh, but no, nah, dude, I, I, I thought every decision I made from from growing up led me to where I was today and I, I have no regrets to the the people that have you know touched my life uh growing up so it's been good man you said that you were you like described yourself as rebellious but like hearing some of the rest of this story like play out you're playing video games and hanging out with the blue collar kids but you're also like sound like a really smart kid you're you're in band like come on like you couldn't have been that bad playing band <laughs> <laughs> so so bro so like there's uh, i'll go on record there's not one person in band that's getting in trouble like there there just isn't they're either too smart and they're like somehow evading it or they're like you know somehow is. blaming the evading the, it the the class clown of the the school and somehow getting him in trouble or they just like aren't interested in that at all you know it's funny i i, I hit up one of my childhood best friends right uh, literally last week and we had to get together and stuff and I was like dude we gotta bring the band together like band as like the people and we we used to call ourselves the OT4L which is outrageous teens for life so whatever we're older now so you know we would take our whatever uh, this is like you can't get indicted if this was like 15 years ago we would take like our you know his mom's car pick us up and we just go joyriding I don't know if that's rebellious yeah i'd say that's a little rebellious a little rebellious but we would do that then we would go to one of our friend's house they had a pool we'd go pool and then play video games and then just drive us back home and like i don't know we were and the thing is we we didn't even drink like crazy i don't think i drank like crazy or anything during high school um but yeah nothing yeah rebellious yeah that's rebellious i guess that's a good amount uh, just yeah, enough yeah. to like kind of be considered rebellious but enough to where you didn't get in trouble so that's a good thing Correct. Correct. So it was cool. It was good times. What, uh, what were your kind of like, I know that your ambitions were to like join the the Marine Corps and we can kind of talk about that, but I'd love to hear how that kind of evolved maybe over time, because I sent you over my outline and kind of like looking through your back history, you have like done a ton of different things. Like you're, you know, you were in the Marine Corps, uh, have you were a rugby coach, uh, financial rep? You worked at like a protection agency. Like, <laughs> yeah. kind of help me piece together some of this stuff. And like, what were your interests that were maybe driving these, or was it just kind of like, hey, this this came up and this sounds interesting? Yeah, this came up. This sounds interesting. Um, 
you know, financial, when I was in the financial district, that's where I learned sales, learned sales, learned how to build a business. Uh, you know, I had a great coach, Carlos Salazar, that helped me out. And that's, you know, I, give, I still give him credit today of what I've done in my business because of him. Uh, private protection, you know, uh, I had a good friend, fellow Marine, Mike Rios, who was in our unit. Um, great. He taught, he taught me about customer service and setting expectations and quality of service. Because he, he wasn't doing private protection for like, you know, for whatever. He was doing not for athletes and stuff. He was doing it for like billionaires, you know. He was doing it for people who made a shit ton of money. And that's a different level. And, you know, he taught me about being on time, how to text, you know, saying hello, um, how to greet people. Uh, he taught me the quality and care and service, which then, you know, all these things in turn have gone to our business. Um, rugby was a huge part of my life. I played rugby in, at, at Norwich University. You know, I served on the Norwich Scrum alum. I'm there. I only missed one year after I graduated, but I've been there every year. I'm a huge supporter. I'm currently on the board of directors for the for the university. Very involved. That school has changed my life. It's so funny because the story of my cousin going to that school. It's so funny. You know, I, we both graduated from there. We know the same great amount of people, and then he just got accepted to the board. So me and him are like, you know, cousins, and we we just hang out and laugh and just be like, dude, this is so fun. Um, but yeah, rugby 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 to me was a big big impact in my life the the amount of friends the challenges the wins the losses the camaraderie everything I've done in my life has like brought me to where I am today and yeah it's pretty much and then you know one of the jobs I did right after college my roommate's father he owned a painting company um you know entrepreneur I've been to his house multiple times over in Connecticut in a beautiful house put his kids through college and I knew no one growing up who owned a business, you know what I'm saying? Everyone worked for somewhere else and no, nothing against that, you know? It's just that I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, you know, my mom was a hard worker, she was a nurse. A lot of my friends just worked in different parts of, you know, different uh, professions, but no one really owned a business that I knew. And he was the first person that actually talked to me. He was like, hey man, being an entrepreneur is great. Uh, he's like, got my own business, he went to my house and he's like, this is like, this is what I do in my life. I'm very passionate about it. And that like kind of like spoke to me. That was like the first seed that, that came into my mind. It's like entrepreneurship. That sounds pretty cool. What was he selling you on about entrepreneurship in general? Was it just like the ability to, or uh, I guess I'll hear from you. What, what did he think was so attractive and like, why did that resonate with you? Uh, the quality of life, um, the freedoms that he had, uh, pro you know, providing to his family. I think those are like big things of what I want to do in my life. Like I want to provide for my family. I want to have the freedom to do this. Uh, you know, he has a company, he has teams of people. So people that like look on to him for getting jobs and stuff like that. So being a leader in the community, he, he does a lot of community work as well. He, uh, Mr. Marty Heiser. Uh, great. You know, I still keep in contact with him. Uh, you know, I just talked to, my, you know, his son, my old roommate uh, a week ago, just, you know, wishing him a happy Veterans Day. And we just chatted and reminisced. But yeah, it was just all those things that I thought were positive things that were, were great that outweighs the, you know, he's and he's told me he's like, there's, there's some some jobs like, you know, entrepreneurship is like a it's like a journey of just of just go, you know, you see ups, you see downs, but you're going in this growing tra trajectory. Right. So it's kind of like you're going up, you're going upstairs with a yo-yo, 
Mm-hmm. So while you're going upstairs, you know, you could be a low point, but that low point is way higher than where you were at the bottom of the step. And uh, I, that's how I envisioned it. And that's what I thought was pretty cool about it. It's funny that the, the pitch for like taking care of your family and like providing your, for your family was what was attractive about entrepreneurship because, and it, it's ironic that that is the reason a lot of people don't do it. Like they're, way more unsuccessful entrepreneurs than there is successful ones, I would guess, in terms of that metric of like being able to make enough money to provide for their family. So that's, he he must have been doing very well well for himself for him to have that kind of belief. Absolutely. I mean, the statistics are like, I think 90% of small businesses fail within their first year. And then out of that percentages, none of them are like a very small amount are around after 10 years. You know what I'm saying? So the percentage of, but I always like that. I always like challenges in a way. Um, and that just stems from playing video games to playing sports to being in the band, right? We saw it to compete uh, and we saw it a level of service, but uh, enjoying the Marine Corps, it was always great just to kind of like compete with yourself. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like a lot of the elements of your background were a really great recipe for those things. You know, you highlighted the team aspect and like working together in a group, probably leading a small unit of some sort, uh, sales, customer experience. Like, you know, if you understand the back end of like the financial part of what it takes to, to run a business and you worked in like the, the financial services space, I'm sure you did like that. Yeah. Sounds like a great concoction right there. Oh, absolutely. It's made me learn a lot. As I said, every every step of my life were, you know, they were just like, that's where, where it was meant to be. Every step was where it meant to be. Um, you know, like I said, no regrets. Could I have done things better? Absolutely. But listen, you, sometimes you learn from those things. A lot of those things that don't, don't happen the way you wanted to, you learn from them. And mm. then you learn from it and you move forward. Absolutely. There, there was this um, quick story we so i was playing rugby and and our our senior year i was a captain and it's been a while since we've been in the playoffs since 2004 2005 and then that year we made it to the playoffs and we lost to a team by one point and we oh, and we, we went undef- we we, had, we only had one loss and that team ended up winning right uh, we had one loss and after game after that, we just kept winning and winning and we started getting the, the backing of the school because we were a club team. Now we're a varsity team now. And that one game and I remember uh, one of my guys, he's, he's an army officer now, Chris Hine. He was a kicker and it was a very hard kick. And I remember I went up to him and it was the last kick of the game. And I was like, hey, bro, whatever happens, I still love you, dude. And he, he made that kick. And it was way left and we all saw it the whistle blew and we all just fell to our knees like just crying dude sobbing like but you know what dude um that that taught me things in life of like hey things could be going well sometimes you get kicked kicked in the dick whatever but you have to get back and you gotta you got you gotta keep moving along yeah you, you gotta keep moving along and it was a great run but you know that's how you build up but that, that, that was a big impact in my life of, of playing that sport for four years and being in that quality of, of, of guys that we just played and 
bled and sweat and cried together. And it was such a great moment in my life. And I was very proud. You know, like I said, in, uh, at the end of the game, I was like, dude, whatever happened, love you guys. And we ended up losing, but we continue on. We're still bros. We all have families. A lot of people are still in the service. Some people are out continuing their life on. But that's how life is, man. But you learn from it. You remember those memories and you just you just keep going. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so good it's everything that you just described kind of really drives home. I think a, a major issue of why people have such a hard time, like separating from the service, uh, not just like physically getting out, but like also kind of mentally getting out. Do you think that that's something that you've ever struggled with? You know, it's funny. So someone once asked me, so how's your transition? Because when I was at Norwich, right, in four years from 2006 to 2011, and during those years, I deployed to Mongolia, Norway, and Iraq in 0809. So I had to take a year off from school and then come back. And uh, people were like, how was that transition like? And I, I really thought about it. I was like, you know what? Those people, that was my therapy. Like the people around me that made me laugh, had a good time. You know, we've been joking around and stuff. Those keep, you know, I still have things that I'm, you know, challenged with, you know, that I have to work on or improve on. But those people kept me sane. And when I came back from Iraq in 09 and went back to school and I just saw the same people and they and they just, you know, they still had a good time. And I, that was my therapy. I was still around people that kept me, kept my mind going, right? And I think a lot of the challenges of what happens when you get out is is that you kind of get alone. So here, here, here's a piece that I like to talk about where you, because I, I served in the reserves, right? So I could go to college. Um, the good thing about the reserves is like your unit is in your state. And these people that I grew up with in my unit they're now police officers, politicians, business owners. They work in big companies. They're doing well. They have families, and they're all in New Jersey. That's a perk. The thing about active duty is you meet your best friend. You live in New Jersey. He lives in California. You kind of get that separation. Where can I find my tribe and community that understands me? And, you know, this past Veterans Day, I was calling up a bunch of guys saying, what's up, ball busting. Hey, how's everything? You know, and we're just we're just shooting the shit. But, dude, you need that. And so that transition for me, especially coming back from Iraq, was going back to my school because it was a military school in its essence. Right. Um, that's where I found that therapy of just being able to get back into the groove of things and just like be with my people. So, yeah. The reserves has been pitched to me a lot of different ways, but I've never heard that way stated before. And that's really interesting because you, you do have the opportunity to kind of foster those relationships outside of like the military environment. And you, like you just said, it's, if you're active or deployed, you get out and then, or leave there. And then all of a sudden it's like, all of the, it's weird because it's almost like the experiences that you had just like don't even matter anymore because all of those people you will never see again. Yeah. And the people that, that are around you definitely, if they're not military, will not understand your lifestyle, mm-hmm. your humor, your, your culture, the way you think, the way you act. And yeah, that, that's pretty much how I, I got, you know, that therapy 
was through that. It's just to keep my mind sane, keep it going, and be with these people and talk with them. But yeah, ab- absolutely right. And that, and that, that's why that's why I said once you know when you're in, you're like, okay, you know, like my for example, my business partner. I've known him. You know how we became friends. I was in E3. He was in E3. We both checked in. He checked in a month after. And guess what? E3s and below got to clean the head. Got to freaking mop the floors. Got to got to do the working party. Uh, that's where your friends show up because you're like you're like scrubbing and you're like, dude, this sucks. But you're like embracing the suck together. You know, we've all of that. And we were just like, all right, what are you guys doing after? Where do you guys live? They're like, oh, I live in. You know, I live. You know, he lived in Bridgewater at the time or Raritan. And, you know, we had a couple people that lived nearby or lived close. And we're just like, oh, dude, what are you doing, like, next week? Let's, like, hang out, you know? And then mm-hmm. so you get to cultivate that. But, yeah, it's 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 that's how I think it's kind of like a, like a plus side if you really play your cards correctly. Like like I said, there's people – like my old Gunny, I, I do business with him, and, you know, I've supported him. And there's Marines that call me and, like, dude, that are, like, realtors. They're like, hey, I got this festival going on. I want to I wanna hire you guys or, you know, hey, we're doing an event for, for the unit. I want to hire you guys, you know. It, it, it's like it, it's like a, a good foundation, if, especially belonging to a state. But exactly what you said, if if you're from a small town, say in Kansas, and you meet your boys from all rest and you go back to your small town, it's like unless you find like some VFW or something, it's kind of hard to get that that essence back, that unique essence. Yeah. Well, and you're also like kind of, you know, at the time you were like going to school and had to like pause for deployment and whatnot, but you also have the opportunity to continue working on what your personal and professional life look like outside of the service. And I think that that's one of the things that I've realized is a lot of people, you join active duty and like any kind of personal professional development that has nothing to do with the service is just paused. Or like you maybe never started because you joined and then all of a sudden it's like you did four years, maybe more, you're coming back to a civilian world. You don't, you don't know shit about shit. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> you, you don't have a LinkedIn with a thousand yeah. connections. You don't know anybody in the industry that you're working in. Like, and those, those things mean something when it's time oh, yeah. to like raise money to start a business or like, oh, you're just, you don't have that. Yeah. And you know, the, a lot like the, the private, you know, security, he was hiring guys from from my unit, 225, and that's how that's how I met him. And he was, and, and it's great because uh, Mike Rios and a couple of the other guys that came from that unit became like these mini mentors in my life that like taught me a thing or two. It was like, hey, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. And sometimes that's you know the military tries. You know, I know they have some sort of program for transitioning out veterans, but it's nice when you actually got a guy who's out that you know that's like helping there's so many guys right now that are like in who are firefighters and police officers because they had someone from the same unit like hey man this is what you need to do Uh, get this done get this done i'll put in a good word and i can help you know after your military career at least get your career outside or get your career while while you're doing the military Mm -hmm. i am very i grow more and more dubious about the impact that large organizations have on people in that transitioning stage because the true value is found in like talking to other people like you have to have that thing and it's hard for I think as an organization 
to to jump in there and like solve that problem because it's it's individuals that are are doing it not this entity called the business or right. if it's nonprofit or whatever yeah and i always tell veterans i'm like first of all no one once you get out no one knows you shit honestly it's like there's so many programs out there they're not going to give you a freaking handout they're going to be like hey there's so many doors of opportunity that are open uh, opening up for vets i'm like dude i'll point you to the door but if i'm gonna put get it word for, word in for you you better do the due diligence of showing up early you know wearing a nice suit having your resume and presenting yourself in a way to get hired for that position you know what i'm saying like yeah. there's so many opportunities you can't just walk in and just be like yeah i'm a veteran yeah you know i did this like dude doesn't the world does not work like that you know even though a lot of people say they they want to hire vets one is you got to do that first impression and you, you still got to do the work being a vet is awesome because you you have that kind of like that label and you have a uh you know when people look at you they have they think of things of like okay i feel like they're good with time management uh you know i feel like they're loyal they're 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 passionate that they can get stuff done they can learn things on the fly they can fix problems absolutely but you have to portray that out yourself you know mm -hmm. that's so true <laughs> i was just emailing somebody about this the other day it's like they were asking what i had learned over the last year and i was like I have learned that like everything that I thought was wrong, like it's, mm. there is way more resources than you think there is. And it is the, the need isn't for that. It's for us to like rise to the occasion. And yes, not that, you know, there are maybe some people looking for, for handouts and th there are definitely a need for some aggressive totally resources, totally but we got to like, wear that as like a, Hey, this is like, this is a cool thing that I did, but that doesn't entitle me to something. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I was always like, uh, you know, around the friends and culture were like, yeah, you don't, don't expect a handout, but you know, you and I are on the same page. Like there are some people out there that need assistance and there's, and we're not talking about those people, you know what I'm saying? And there, there's programs, there's, there's amazing people out there that would be more than gladly to help them, whether it's, you know, finding a job, homelessness, financial stability, family stuff, finding, you know, writing a resume. Absolutely. Right. But there's, there's a large majority of us that are like, you could freaking walk through that door. Let's not be lazy now. Let's, let's, let's get her done. Let's make these connections and let's make it go. So. Mm -hmm. Well, and if you think about it, I think comparing the type of work that needs to be done it's just like we're not talking like hard stuff like yeah, yeah. compare it to like time on a ship or you know time deployed or it, it, it's it's a lot easier uh to like send a couple hundred linkedin messages and like network with some people online than it is to you know be working 12 14 hour days for seven months straight you, you know it's funny i just got into a conversation with someone and uh, uh, you know, maybe I was just my dark humor. Sometimes we're like, you know, sometimes war is just simple, right? You wake up, you do your shift, you know, you do your patrol, then you get back, you clean your rifles, and then you just got to get briefed, and then you just repeat it every day. And sometimes it can be simpler. Now you got to deal with people, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you can't yell at clients when they when they do things right. Yeah, uh, you know, so it's too two sides right so yeah uh, it's pretty unique pretty unique <laughs> so you are working at the protection agency like through 2018 
is that kind of the point and or was there a specific point when you realized like now is the time for me to pull the trigger on starting my own thing or had you already been maybe doing stuff kind of on the side you know what uh during those years i i helped a couple people uh start their own business or like learn about business and so it's mike rios who owned that business now he owns another business where he does um power washing right I, I learned a lot from him because he was a business owner and I just learned so much about him and what he does and how he takes care of us that that's how I wanted to be a business owner. I was like, you know what? I want to, I want my, you know, not for nothing. I'm like, I'm not trying to be weird about it, but I'm like, I'm tired for working for someone else. I want to build my own thing. Like, you mm-hmm. know, and you know, I show nothing but love for him, but I'm like, I want to, I want to do something that I'm passionate about that I want. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that's that. My, uh, that's my baby, you know? So yeah, so that's um, 2018. Um, I met with my other business partner, Miley, and he was working in New Jersey. We played rugby together, went to school together. He came back from Afghanistan, he was in Fort Hood, and then he took a job here in Jersey. And and then we, we sat together and we talked about a mobile cigar lounge. And he was like, that would be a great idea, especially in New Jersey. So- we gotta we gotta like dig into that a little bit so first of all when i first came across you i was like what the fuck is a mobile cigar lounge and then you you act like it was just something that like because i i don't is that even something that other people have done or like what gets you thinking about that specifically yeah so one is uh we were coming up with different names right essentially uh when we first started our business we wanted to sell cigars at food truck festivals at wine festivals at different festivals different venues stuff like that so we so we i forgot the name of what we came up with in the beginning but every time people are like so what is it and we're like oh it's like a mobile cigar lounge and and my my partner patrick uh, and he was just like, dude, what if we just called it the mobile cigar land? So we went online, you know, we did our research, like there's nothing, there's no, you know, the website wasn't taken, the Instagram wasn't taken. I was like, yeah, dude, we should be called the mobile cigar lounge and we should call it because people were asking, like, what is it? And I was like, it's a mobile cigar lounge. You know, we bring the cigar experience to you. And and that's how we came up with the name. And that was kind of like how our, our, our business started was that name. I, I, I wish I could find I, I forgot what the first name. I, I got to text them. I'm like, dude, what was the name of our company in the beginning? I love that, that you just took like literally the description and made that the name because it is kind of that weird stage where you're like maybe starting something new and everybody like wants to ask you about it, but you're like trying to come up with like the words and it like kind of changes each time. And you're like, well, it's, it's kind of like this, but you know, something different. I'm actually texting right now. What's the first name of our business in 2018? I, I bet you he forgot, but it was exactly it. So what is it? We're like, it's a mobile cigar lounge. Mm -hmm. so it's one it's interesting i was had a note here to ask you if you had like tried other things but like obviously you're still doing that today and so i think that it's interesting and very notable that the first thing that you tried well and and maybe this is the discussion that we can get into is like the first thing you tried either worked well enough or you pivoted enough to where like the business model and stuff made sense. So what was kind of like 
that initial launch looking like? What was like the reception? Is it one of those things you just kind of had that product market fit right off the bat? Or was there a bunch of like, uh, this element of it doesn't work. We need to like kind of go a different way. Yeah, it was just like, I knew there's a lot of festivals that happen in the state, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? Let's 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 go to these festivals. The first, the first festival, and I'll pull up too. The first festival that we did, it was called a Firewatch Festival. It was for veteran-owned businesses. It happened in September of 2018. And I, I, and the best thing is, so what I did was, what me and my partners did, is we took like six to eight cigars that we thought were great in a ranges of mild, medium, and full, and that we thought were good, put them at certain price points so we could sell at these events. You know, if you go to a food truck festival, if you, you know, if you go to a whiskey festival, you know, people want cigars. Yeah. Oh, dude, I picked it up. So, uh, 9-22-2018, we had our first uh, cigar event. And I remember, especially being a business owner, when someone puts that first, like, $10 in your hand and you put it in your POS and you're like, ah, this is when your business is real. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. People are buying. So that day, I'll, I'll tell you, because I, I like write notes and stuff. Yeah, dude, this is pretty funny. Um, we made $496. Uh, the first day yeah first day we okay went very, went very well we set up next to the beer garden we made 496 dollars in sales i was just the following sturdier tent better banner and cigar banners for our booth made a lot of great contacts and network with other veteran-owned businesses and by the way the person that i met here was back reflect brewing a year later she would be the one sending me to cigar rolling school oh okay yeah so I mean, we'll, we'll chat about that once we get towards the middle of it. But yeah, 922, 2018, we made 496 sales our first day. And during that year from September to December, we made a total of um, $7,967. So eight grand that we made. Wow. Yeah. That's very cool. Well, and I think that starting off in like, <clears throat> obviously it's, there are some interesting things that are just innately in your favor from like the business model perspective. It's something that's consumable, uh, potentially high frequency use, depending on if you're the type of that type of person. And especially in those social settings, you know, you've got a beer, you got a drink, like, of course you want one. Even the non-cigar smokers are going to have one because that's just like kind of a, a social thing that you do. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's what we loved about it. You know, yeah, I'm just looking. Yeah. It's just, it's just so funny. Yeah, eight grand. Little throwback to the old. Uh... Oh, absolutely. And you know what? Something when I started with my business, I want everything like I have Excel spreadsheets of notes, how much we made, you know, who are the point of contacts, event times, setup times, and yeah, we did, we did about you know, a bunch of events from September to, to December. That a screenshot of that will be in the history book someday. Oh, absolutely. Oh, it's cap. It's cap. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh... What kind of price points were you selling these at just to kind of get some perspective of, you know, like 400 some odd dollars in sales? Like how much are you selling them for individually? And then what is like the margin that you're kind of making on each one? Oof, let's talk about that. Let's get into numbers. Let's go. So um, My, I've got a finance background. I'll sit here and talk all day. No, about that, so yeah, I'm cool with it. You know what? I, I think numbers should be more talked about. The thing I love about business, it's all metrically done. Right. So um so let's say the average would be $12, right? 
uh, per stick because it ranged from $10 to I think $18 was the most that we had. But $10 was our lowest. Let's say $12 because that was our like a Romeo Julieta's uh, Reserva Vials. Um, I think we had Padermo as a 20th uh, anniversary. Great cigars as kind of like a mild medium stick. Uh, so $12. So if you did four ninety six divided by 12, whatever that number is. Um, so how many six did we sell that day? 496 divided by 12. About 41. 41. Yeah, 41. So we sold like 41 cigars there. Okay. That's a now good the, amount. Okay. <laughs> let's talk about the margins here, right? So so thing about New Jersey is we have our wholesale price. Then we have a 30% tobacco tax attached to that plus a sales tax. So the margins could be less than probably less than well, around 30 to 40 if you're talking about net margins without talking about paying somebody our first two years myself and my two partners did not pay each other for our first couple of years we just did so that that's just cost of the cost of purchasing the cigar without the tax or anything like that no no that's with the tax so like a $10... so you're making 40 percent on on one cigar yeah so, so think about wow. this so it'd be it'd be ten dollar stick right so it'd be like three dollars wholesale 30 percent probably around like four or five plus that's uh 6.62 no what's the sales well the sales tax then that would be an extra like you know um maybe six dollars so make four dollars a stick so the thing about the cigar game is is the more volume just like any other business the more sales but the thing is what i found out for the first year and a half i took i took our events and I divide by how long we're there and how much money we made per hour. And we probably did like eight or nine weddings in 2020 and did a shit ton of like festivals in 2019. I mean, 2019, we mm-hmm. did like less than 10 weddings around. I made a quadruple amount per hour than I did at, at a festival, which then what we talked about in 2020 is when I started doing weddings more. Mm-hmm. No. Okay. Yeah. So, so how quickly did you, or did you know from the beginning that the, it was going to be like very event-based? Like, is that kind of what you had in mind initially? Or were you like, oh, we'll just kind of go anywhere and do anything? Event-based, sorely. I, I didn't have any, uh, you know, I was thinking about opening a storefront, but mostly it was event-based. Like we come to you. Mm-hmm. We bring our, we bring the cigar experience to you. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's talk about for a wedding, like let's maybe talk today, what it would kind of cost for somebody that's booking you. So is there like a, a booking fee and then like price per cigar? Like what are the, the kind of breakdown of, uh, yeah, yeah. Great, great question. So we have three, three, three different types of experience where we're gold, uh, we have our, uh, our, our platinum and then we have our diamond. Our goal is just if you just want to purchase cigars and have custom bands, um, that can range to anywhere is between 300 to how many cigars you want, right? Starting mm-hmm. price is around 300. Now, if you want to do just a cigar bar, which is our, our platinum package, uh, you can have a certified tobacconist there. Um, you could have 50 cigars, custom bands, two hours. That could be starting around like the 700 range. And then if you're looking at um, uh, 50 cigars with a cigar roller, you're looking over a thousand for two hours. Okay. Wow. So are they, 
how are you, you guys are like buying a selection of cigars and then you guys are like making custom little wraps for them, like with the Correct. bride and groom name on them or something like that. Correct. Yeah. And that's, and that's, and that's how we do it. We just set it up and we just market the hell out of it and just, and just network with people and just, uh, just worked hard at it and just getting our name out there. You know, marketing is our big game. That's my like, mm-hmm. number one, like kind of like my business cycle, but yeah, that's what we did. I wouldn't have ever thought that that would be something like now as you're explaining this, that seems like such a layup idea, but I had never heard of that. And it's such like, you're also targeting a time when people are everybody, like all the guys usually go smoke a cigar after like the ceremony or whatever. That's such a common thing. And so you're like kind of almost bringing it to them and like, you know, something when people are already ready to do it. Bro, I fucking love what I do, right? So, for example, are you married? I don't know if you're married. I can see. You're yes, married. I am. Uh, just as of two weeks ago. <laughs> Let's go, dude. Yeah, yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't get a call. I, that means I'm not marketing where you are. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 check this out, right? People are married. And people who've been to marriages, uh, marriages to receptions to weddings. Weddings. <laughs> yeah, I was like two marriages, uh, to weddings, right? Uh, I want your last two hours. What does that mean? The last two hours, you do the cake cutting. And I would say this, you got you got the music going, you got the drinks flowing, now let's get smoking. And what I mean by that, the kick cutting happens, right? Now people, women take off their heels, guys take off their ties or jackets, and they're just partying. Like, long day, especially, well, the guys, it's kind of easier, but for the women, they've been up earlier. The guys are just kind of like, they just walk into it, you know what I'm saying? You're walking into your <laughs> Throw running. their clothes on. And yeah, yeah. It's like, it. you, maybe you got a fresh cut that day, or you got it the day before, but like, our days are pretty easy, right? Uh, but you go through that long day, but still, it's a, it's a lot. A lot of emotions, a lot of excitement, a lot of, you know, um, anxiety, which could happen. And so those last two hours are kind of like, let's party. Like the DJ, everything's done. All the formalities are done. So the thing is, when you have that dessert hour, you know, you have coffee, dessert, and people are just partying. That's where I want to be because that's where I think it's a great time to celebrate. People come out. They want to get some fresh air. They have coffee. They have drinks in their hand. They just want to smoke a cigar. And that's essentially why I started this. I wanted to grab that experience and just make it unforgettable for them. Not only for them, but for their guests. And um, it stems... Right, can I transition here? So it stems to being in the military where bring me back to the smoke pit. So when Patrick <laughs> and I Patrick oh that is he clicked. Click, yes, the smoke click. pit. Spent a lot click. of hours at the smoke pit before. Spent a lot of hours. But bro, that was and that's part of my thing. When Patrick and I deployed in two thousand eight, you know, we're far from friends, far from home, far from people that we you know, that we love, that you you just wanted to find a little piece somewhere in your chaotic life. And that place where I found it was in the smoke pit. You know, even those five minutes says, well, what's the famous line? Smoke them if you got them, right? Smoke them if you got them. Bunch of guys, they come in and there's two ways to look at it. You know, I, I was talking to uh, a, a colonel. He said he when he was a young major, young lieutenant, uh, his, his superior officer says, hey, you want to find out what's going on? Go, go to the smoke pit and just listen and just hear people talk. And did and you know it's you go there and you just you just enjoy a cigarette or sometimes you enjoy a cigar if you have more time, but that was what I truly miss. That's where you find your camaraderie at. Mm-hmm. And a, a big thing I like to say is I don't miss the circus. I'll always miss the clowns, and I think that's a, a huge passion of what we do. 
And, you know, people always ask, what was your like first cigar? I'm like, dude, I don't remember my first cigar, but I'll always remember the people I smoked it with. So I take that translation and I move it to a wedding. People don't smoke, but they're celebrating your biggest day. One of your biggest days, right, in your life. Mm-hmm. Let's immortalize that. Let's create a smoke pit at your wedding, which I know. I mean, listen, I hire veterans, first responders, and those connected. What more can you have when you have someone that truly understands the value of life, that truly understands to capture the day, the night, because you never know when life is going to end. Mm-hmm. So when you have those people working at your event and working your wedding, working your birthday party, working a celebration, these are the people to have because they know how, how precious life is. Unfortunately, some people just walk through life and don't are not grateful of what they have, right? You and I deployed, a lot of people that are listening deployed. You, you don't understand what it means to shit in a plastic bag for eight months, to not have running water. You know what I'm saying? And now, now I could go stock full of, you know, we're living in America, man. I could go inside a hotel, stock, cleaned. I don't have to worry about anything. You know, I go to different parts of the, outside the country. You know, I just traveled to Scotland and I'll be doing some traveling out of the country in the next year. You know, there's these places where, yeah, there's no toilet paper, you know, or there's no freaking seats. You guys like squat. Like, you know, I'm a big dude. I don't want squat. You know what I'm saying? But going back to, sorry, I was going, but uh, I, I think it's when you truly understand the notion of life is when you could really embrace that. So having us there to create a smoke pit, fuck yeah. Like, let's go. You know, so, yeah. All right, well, see you guys later. A... It was a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and my drop. Will, no, no. Uh... <laughs> no that, that's, that's so true. Well, and you, what a great environment to be in as like, like as the business owner, like while you're quote unquote working, you're going and hanging out with people that like are excited to be there exactly how the smoke pit was, you know, usually I would, we would always joke that in the smoke pit, you can find like a variety of people. It's like, you know, one guy, his girl just broke up with him. These other people are like getting ready to rage for the weekend. Like it's just, it's the whole array, but like at a wedding, you're like, everybody's excited to be there. You're getting the best time. And kind of maybe even the best, like maybe even the most borderline shit show time, depending on the type of wedding you're going to. 100%. And I I love it because that's the best time to let's go, let's rage out, let's party. And people are in good moods, right? Even though they might have, you know, you get those, sometimes you get like, uh, you know, you get couples like, dude, just had a long day, you know, the it, it wasn't on time or something messed up. Dude, I need a cigar. I need to like relax and just and just and just really just end your night in a proper way. So yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, absolutely. We get we dude. I get from drunks to to like oh my girlfriend's pissed at me because I'm not dancing with her. You know, dude, smoke pit, same thing. Right. I was just like I'm back where I was back in 2008 and you know during my career. So yeah, absolutely, man. It's a, it just brings it back to it. The place that'll accept you with open arms, no matter your condition. Absolutely. You know what? I think there should be more smoke pits to solve what we have today going on in the United States. But you know what? I I will say this. I've had some of the best conversations over a cigar. I've watched from religion to politics to really these kind of like 
but like in a civil manner over a cigar, it is like awesome. Like I just sit there and I remember they were just having like political like stuff. You know, you're not supposed to talk politics. They were just going at it, but like civilly and they keep like, hey, listen, I can agree with that, but I don't agree with this. And it's like, okay, I, you know, we can agree not to not to disagree. And I, they were just going back civilly. And I was just like, this is a great fucking conversation. Like, I'm just, I was like, dude, yeah, I totally agree with that. Oh, you know what? The way he's putting it, yeah, I totally could see that way. You know what I'm saying? And I, 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 I think that that just stems from, that's why I love cigar lounges and cigar bars. I think they're one of the last social places. You know, there's not a lot of places where you could go to and you could have a cigar and it's like, you you're like you you gotta socialize you know what i'm saying i mm-hmm. it's very rarely you go to a cigar bar you know see some guys working if they're there for work just to bang stuff out and leave or on their phone but it, it's a very social atmosphere you sit down like hey what's up man how's it going what are you smoking cool you from around here yeah all right cool you know i've met so many great people when i travel i find it's a, a cigar lounge and i'll meet someone there and just you know shoot the shit you know the music isn't loud i don't have to yell it's just like it's just basic let's just communicate with each other and socialize. I, I, like, I like that. Actually, I love it. So, Well, and kind of the nature of just smoking a cigar in general kind of automatically pushes you towards the things that lead to better conversation. So yeah. the first thing about that is that I'm thinking of is you're sitting down and you're committing to like 25 to maybe 45 minutes of yeah. like smoking this thing. And so, so many conversations are cut short by basically people walking away or leaving because they don't want to continue it. So you're like committing to sit down and like chat with somebody. And then you're also committing to shutting the fuck up too. When you want to smoke your cigar, you need to allow that other person to talk. And so like those two things, it's kind of like a natural conversation uh, location. Absolutely. And the, the whole thing of, you know, when people are like, Oh, I got like, 20 minutes do you think i could smoke the cigar i always say don't have, because of the whole culture of cigar oh because it's handmade and you won't respect it because it's like one of those things that are like it's a premium luxury item that literally you're taking 20 30 dollars to just smoke in front of you right but it's just the essence of you're committing to the time and you're showing respect to the people that made that cigar because it takes for a cigar to be made it takes an average of 300 pairs of hands to actually from start to finish because what they're doing is the farmers the tobacco farmers are constantly feeling it to make sure that the the thickness the you know the uh the, the resin on it how it looks they're constantly touching it and so by the time it gets to your hands you know people think it's disgusting i think it's a beautiful thing you know what i'm saying the, that crafted cigar in front of you from seed to shelf had 300 pairs of hands to make sure from when it turns into a seed and the proper care to get right into your hands for a premium cigar. And that's why I'm like, if you're going to smoke a cigar, don't ever rush it. And going back to you, what you were saying, yeah, you're committed to that cigar. I, I, I won't smoke a cigar if I know that I have to rush it. Like, I, I just don't, I just, I don't feel comfortable doing that. A little bit ago, you mentioned that one of the packages you guys offer, like you can have somebody that comes there that is like hosting it. That's like a tobacconist, I think you called it. And then you also were just mentioning some of the processes that cigars go through. I would love if you would just like give a, a dummy who knows nothing about it, like the start to finish process of like what that looks like. 
um, and then kind of how maybe from plant to, you know, me smoking it, what is that, what does each stage kind of look like and why is that important? Yeah, you know, big thing that's important is, right, the, um, the knowledge and the history of the cigar, mm-hmm. right? Because when you, when you look at that, it's, it's such a beautiful thing of the history behind it when Christopher Columbus came and met the Native Americans that were here. They were smoking it in just bundles. But to them, when they smoked it, you're inhaling the earth. And when you breathe out, you're giving it back to the earth. So not only was it like a social thing, it was also a spiritual thing. Mm-hmm. So when people smoke cigars, it was like a huge thing. So a lot of the plants, right, they could grow up to five feet. The the tobacco plant itself, um, it could go pretty high. It starts from the bottom up. And each part of the leaf could be used for different parts of the cigar. So to, to kind of like dumb it down a little bit, um, where they they cultivate seeds, takes a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and then what happens is they take the leaves, but then, like I said before, the, the farmers are constantly touching it because each part of the use, leaf is used for one section of the cigar. One section is used for the filler, one section is used for the binder, one section is used for the wrapper. And it's all placed on different sections of where the plant is. And the strength of cigar comes from the, the lejero or the corona or the top of at the top of the of the, uh, of the plant because that's the youngest part of the plant which means it has the most resin that means it's uh, the least um, kind of like sun put into it because it's just grown and that's where it's getting a lot of its power from right and so when you take a mix of those think of wine right um, there's different regions of where wine could come from France could come from the United States could come from Italy tobacco can come from different regions from Dominican Republic Honduras Cuba Nicaragua, uh, parts of Asia, parts of Africa. And you could take all those leaves and combine it and make it together to create a cigar, a, a certain type of flavor profile, like how you can mix grapes. And that's how I like to compare it because some people, you know, when you compare things, it makes it a lot easier. And I think that that helps, right? And then the leaves could then be processed. Uh, some some wrappers, some leaves could take three to five years to just don't, don't even get to see a cigar, right? And it's just those processes in between of the care of the farmers, of drying it out, of putting in these things called polonis so that the, the moisture comes out and it, it starts getting this kind of like um, ammonia smell. It's just, it's just releasing all its, its liquid so it could dry out to then go into the hands of a, of a cigar roller or blender and putting it together and wrapping it and then letting it age um so it's just a huge beautiful process that i wish could say take took only a couple months but it could take a couple years to make it happen just like any fine things of life wines whiskeys scotches um a lot of those things take time and that's what makes it beautiful when you're looking at a handmade product so if anyone who's looking to try cigars definitely try something what i like to say is everyone's palate is different don't let someone dictate their palate onto yours because like, for example, you know, I like my steak medium rare. How do you like your steak? Medium rare. Medium rare. Some people might like it well done. Some people might get like mooing. Some people like it medium plus. Um, we don't want to talk to anybody that likes it well done though. So. Yeah. You know, it's like the same thing with, uh, you know, like wines, like they don't want 
you know, they don't think Moscatos or like those sweet wines are actually wines. You know, they're wines, but they're not. Cigars could be actually black and mild. So, you know, they're little mini cigars, but the you know, for us, they're not like cigars, but they technically are. But, uh, you know, when they move into the world of just cigars, it's starting something light, easy, kind of like a mild, or it could something that could be uh, infused or it could be um, kind of have a, like a flavor to it might be a good way to start start smoking. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm like a, a cigar connoisseur, but I am certainly in that, like, I'm figuring out what I like phase and I usually start out by going to the tobacco shop, buying six or eight and like writing down the names of them in my notepad and like writing down like, oh, I didn't really like the taste of this one and uh, try to get different ones each time. Now's yeah. probably the best time to ask, what do you, what is your favorite? or like got a couple recommendations on in each category so uh i'll start off with this i get this question asked a lot what's your favorite cigar and this is how i like to answer it i would rather have a bad cigar with good company than a good cigar with bad company so i'm a social smoker so i I usually barely smoke by myself so when if what i'm smoking with i i've smoked like a three five dollar cigar with great people and still enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, I've never had a shitty cigar, uh, a good cigar with shitty company. Usually, when I, I, I'm like perusing, I'm like, okay, all right, I had this happen. We're, we're looking good. The people I'm with are like chill people. I'm like, I'm like today, I'm gonna, I'm gonna smoke a good cigar, right? And and some cigars I smoke that are pretty much. Um, are pretty much up there as like celebration cigars or good day cigars or Padron, uh, 1926 or the 70th anniversary or 50th anniversary. The great sticks, very consistent Nicaraguan uh, cigars. I think those are just like my top because usually you can find them in most places. Uh, Toro Fuente puts them out, some really nice high-end cigars like um, um, I Have the Shark or the Don Carlo or the God of Fire. Um, Davidoff, the Churchill Late Hour, and these are all sticks that are probably going to be ranging 20 and up, you know, sometimes around 30, 40 dollars. Uh, some of them even 70 to 80 dollars. But it has to be a special moment that I, I don't smoke those cigars frequently. Those are like, I'll smoke them when I'm when I have something to celebrate about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love what you said about the, the company and how how important that is to kind of dictating that experience. Absolutely. I, yeah, I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm never going to smoke a, 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 an awesome cigar that took time and quality and, and a premium cigar with like a shitty situation. I uh, like, if I'm going to smoke it, I'm going to smoke it to celebrate something. What do you think has been the biggest challenge for you and the mobile cigar lounge since starting this? Um, the biggest challenge is every, every day is like a new, cause you know, we're hitting these different points. We're learning. It's just always constantly learning. I don't find like a challenge. I, I think it's like, yeah, I mean, it, it is defined as a challenge, but I, I just look after it every day. It's a new challenge. How do we solve this? How do we do this? How can we make this better? Uh, that's why I like business. It's kind of like you have to improve in every in different areas of your business to make it successful. You can never have a successful like top business, right? You can always get better, 
always get better. You could change your marketing, you could change your price points, you could hire new people, you could, you know, get talent acquisition. It, it, it all plays in a, a major role. So the challenge is, uh, is to always stay on top of it. But I enjoy that. But for some people, it could be difficult. But for me, I find it as a with open arms, like, okay, here's the next challenge. Okay, how do we solve it? How can we how can we get out of it? Let's go, mm -hmm. let's do this, you know? So, yeah. What kind of, I'll, uh, I'll let you snake your way out of that question, but I, I'm going to amp it up a notch and take another approach. What is the, the biggest challenge that you're facing right now or that lesson that you're kind of learning in your business right now? Absolutely. Uh, working on our sales process. I want to grow my business three times as it is right now. Uh, right now, it's putting people in the right place. Uh, driving our, our sales revenue and putting people in the right place to make sure we hit a, a certain amount goal for 2023. So that's what I'm working on right now is uh, if, if you had to ask me what, what part of my business I'm working on, my sales process. Okay. And is that like the active art of booking events uh, or I guess w what does that look like specifically? Um, making phone calls. We're hiring new two, uh, two three new salespeople in the next um, next week, you know, uh, training them and getting them to make the phone calls to, to reach out to, to our potential clients to have us at their events. So we, we developed a sales script. We developed a process of sales funnel of where they go to. They, we are currently working on email, um, the new set of email automations of with each stage, you get like 10 to 20 emails, you know, you know, each time just to, you know, I learned that from some of the greats, like, People forget and sometimes life happens, but just to constantly remind them and listen, if people are going to, this is how I think about business. If you're going to pick someone that follows up with you or who doesn't follow up with who you'll pick, the person obviously that follows with you, because I stick in your head. If you have to make a decision at the end of the day, the person that calls you twice or the person that called you 10 times or contacted you 10 times through via email, checked up on you, made sure. I always tell people, I tell my sales team, I'm like, listen, I'll go to bat for you. I have not gotten a single call that you guys are calling too much. Like, I want that call. That, mm -hmm. that would be great. But the thing is, I, I know what to say. I'm like, hey, listen, my team is passionate about what they do. My sales team are so sold in about what they do that can you imagine how sold in when we're going to be at your wedding? That, that's how I see it. You know, I have a different mindset mentality. So right now, if you if you had to pinpoint of what keeps me up at night, it's uh, kind of improving my sales process and keep people in the pipeline, make sure we're in front of their head all the time. I appreciate and respect that you're so aggressive about sales and not taking the approach of like, hey, we've got this cool kind of niche business and you know, we're not going to just like prop our feet up and wait for calls. Like no. it, if you're hiring salespeople and you're like, you know, having them dial on the phone all day, like that's, a, that's aggressive. And I, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Uh, I'm very, I'm very, I'm, I'm bullish in terms of, you know, different types of business. Um, so when there's bull and then there's where it goes to bear, bear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> bearish. I'm bullish. Uh, when, when it comes to, I want to get in your mind. And you know, you know what's crazy, dude? I was, I was just learning and learning from my business coaches. The average salesperson uh, contacts a person twice, two times. I tell my sales teams, I want to do more than that, because if I'm just contact you twice, that's a problem to me. I should be in your mind twenty four seven. 
because the, by the time you make that decision, if you talk to someone twice or talk to someone who's building a relationship with you and check up on you answering your questions, and I have a dedicated concierge team to make sure that your event is as best as we can make it, who are you going to go with? Yeah, uh, we could be a higher price point, but we're the best price point of where we're at from the experience that we're going to deliver. And I think that's important. I think the value of, of what we do is exactly where we need to be at our price point and our value of what we offer our clients. I get clients that are like, oh, this is too expensive. I got something that's $600 less. I'm like, let me ask you a question. If we were at the same price, who would you go with? We have about like 600 five-star reviews, endless amount of clients. This is what we do. I don't do this as a side job. I do this full-time. Well, who do you all pick? Oh, you guys. I'm like, so what's stopping you? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I could go down to $600, but you won't have this. You won't have this. You won't have this. Yeah, but it, it, yeah, we're, we're, you know, for where we're at, uh, I think it, it's, a, it's a great point. And a lot of our clients have developed, gave us that opportunity to become who we are because all those reviews and testimonials that we get, you know, people can read them. You know, some of the best services, a great way to end the night. Husband loved it. Wife loved it. You know, love to have these guys again. I am sold into my business. You know, there are, I did 700, around 700 weddings this year, right? Uh, about to do, so yeah, 700 weddings this year. There are like 40,000 weddings happening this year in New Jersey. I did only 700, I do the math, less than, what's the percentage, whatever. Um, small. <laughs> small, bro, small. And I'm not going to get there by sitting on my ass and getting clients just to find us. I'm very bullish in my sales. Yeah. In a good way. You know, I'm not like, you know, I'm not calling them like every single time, you know, I'm, I'm touching base. I'm very, we're very creative saying gifts, sending pictures. Hey, I just got this. I just got this. Uh, we just got this client testimonial this week. I thought about you, you know, it's, it's, it's ways. I'm not, I'm not doing the, Oh, Hey, just wanted to touch base. I'm doing like, Hey, just thought about you. We just had this client testimonial coming about their wedding. I can't wait this to be yours. Cor corny stuff. But that, I like that. People, but people remember you. People remember you. You know what I'm saying? And that's why, you know, I, I, I'm excited to grow my sales team because I, I want them to be, I want them to be like savages on the phone. Like yeah. losers, you know, because if I'm sold in from what I do and it's just like, why not? Why not have this? I think every every wedding should have this, right? Because it's just like a great way to make something different and to celebrate the end of the night. Listen, the average wedding is around thirty six thousand dollars, thirty eight thousand dollars in New Jersey. A thousand dollars to you for a two hour experience to make your guests love that moment and the pictures that you get with your husband smoking or your groomsmen smoking, blowing smoke in the air, and getting pictures like that. Damn, you're gonna remember that for the rest of your life. I, I am so sold in my business. Like, yeah, that's why I'm bullish about it. I love that little like tidbit about like a tactic for uh, like driving home and like closing on the sale. And it sounds like you have done a great job of instilling your passion for the business and the industry into the people that work for you. What have you learned about how to do that effectively? How do you make somebody care about the business and want to kind of hit the ground running and be a closer on the phone every day the same way they same way that you would well first off if i hired them and not passionate in the business that's my fault 
because a lot of people try and blame them like oh they're not like doing anything on someone's business well i was the first one that hired them in the first place so that was a that was a poor planning on my part and poor execution i was reading this thing hire slow fire fast where i'm meeting you know our sales team they're going to have four interviews like i'm the last interview um because we want to know who they are and a, a big thing that i looked about is coachability and trust and you know, I was talking to a good friend of mine. He was a he was a Green Beret, and he was saying any high level of of business or the teams or special forces, they have kind of like this this chart where it's up and down is abilities, and left you know left to right is is trust. And they find out that hey, your abilities, yeah, we can help you run faster, run farther, shoot better, uh, and train you. But it's that level of trust that is so huge that if they cannot trust you, they don't want you on the team. The same thing is as a business owner. If I put the the trust and the and the the knowledge for you to get better, yeah, I'm, you're going to perform well. And I think it's uh, kind of like a your your duty and obligation to make sure that you give your team the best tools possible. And listen, I'm not saying our process is perfect, but we're me and my business partner Patrick, we're always looking for ways to improve it and make it better because we have people now that are working for us that like, you know, that are part of a team. And plus I work with vets and first responders. So we're, it's kind of a good time because we could joke around and we could do some stuff, but, uh, but it's fun, man. But yeah, I, I think to one is to have that culture. If you're hiring someone, one is to hire slow, right? Because if, if they come in and you hire them too quickly and they don't develop that culture or their environment, that's your own fault. You know, that's my fault, you know, and I, I've done it. You've hired people that are like, damn, not a right fit. Was not the right fit, but you hire slow. And then you have that culture in place of this is who we are. This is what we, this is what we inspire to be. These are our values, you know, being, uh, you know, having integrity, having fun commitment, and you value those values just like as we do. We, we, we could coach you to get better, but that trust mm -hmm. has to be there. I like that. And I think that hiring from a pool of like first responders and veterans, you're kind of naturally, they, they may not instantly be high trust just because of that, but you're, it's probably a safe assumption that they are generally going to be further down that scale oh, than yeah. just your average guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, they're shit bags, right. Uh, in the military or not even military, but uh, I was taught you have your top 10, bottom 10, and your middle 80. In any form of of life, you will have your bottom ten of people that just suck. You know, that's just they're just there to, to do anything. At church, at a McDonald's, at a high end business, you know, at a small level, you know, large level, you're going to find those types of people there. It's just that you know that's why it's how you identify and keep moving, keep the ship moving. Can you kind of let's let's zoom out a little bit and where did kind of remind me what you guys did in sales in 2018 and then kind of bring that forward to today. What are you guys going to close out 2022 in, in sales? Okay. Uh, September to December, we did 8,000. 2019, we did around 65,000. 2020, because there was no events whatsoever. We we're literally in the pandemic, like New Jersey was one of the first states to close down. We closed out to 145,000. Uh, last year in 2022, we did 640, 650,000. And this year we're going over a million. 
wow that is like nothing short of fantastic yeah that is like i don't know what i was expecting but it wasn't that like that, <laughs> that like is 8, awesome 000, uh ten thousand. <laughs> that's like that's straight exponential chart man that that ain't yeah. no uh you know a little bit of compound interest slow and steady wins the race that's straight exponential yeah i i attribute a lot of that to um i'm i'm a i'm a very big be, be a student you know i've had the reason why we did well in 2020 and why i switched over is because um uh what's his name uh D- damon john the shark yeah he had a free program he gave his free business program to veterans in 2019 on veterans day and i just took it and I, of course i've been in different accelerators so i took it and i learned a lot from it and then i i i invest a lot into into business coaching because it's so important to me mm-hmm. like if if I didn't have my business coaches or take those classes or courses that, that different uh, organizations or colleges or, or entities have, I wouldn't be where I am today. 100%. What was the most valuable accelerator or coach that you've had? I know that you did participate in the bunker labs program and that's like a cool program uh, accelerator for vets. If you want to highlight that or, or if there's another that was particularly meaningful and helped you and what about it, that was so good. So I took a thing called veterans launching ventures over here in Fairleigh Dickinson. It was business owners that want to start, learn how to create a business plan, a marketing plan, a growth plan, everything. And a mission statement, all that stuff. Because remember when I talked about, well, I talked to my buddy Miley about like, hey, we should open up a mold cigar lounge. I came home that night and I took the same template that I used for that and and made my business plan for the mobile cigar lounge. It was like 10 pages long. I literally sat with my laptop and just started typing away. And I was just like, da da So that, that was pretty cool on how to start. Um, there was a, dude. Each and every one had their own like touch in my life or because in, a, in our business, because even though it talked about marketing, you might know stuff about marketing. And even though it's basic as marketing, I'll probably find one little nugget in there that could change your change your business from like, you know, from X, you know, from A to B. I, X, Y. Yeah, X to Y. Uh, sorry, I forgot the letter after. Um, but that was good. Um, Bunker Labs is great because I love being with my community with veterans and talking to veteran business owners and, and spouses. It's different le- a different level. Now I'm part of the CEO circle where you have to be making like 800, 900 or close to a million in revenue. It's a different level of business because, you, you know, you're not asking. I was joking around. We, we just did it a couple of uh, last week. CEO circle is now a place where you're talking about like, oh, should I have a website or what kind of LLC should I have? No, we're talking about talent acquisition. We're talking about logistics. We're talking about, you know, higher levels of marketing strategies. You know what I'm saying? It's not like we don't have these concepts. These are people when you're making half a million up and you've been in business for quite a while, they're looking to make changes and looking to um, divulge in different parts of, uh, of their business in, in terms of like getting better at. Um, so definitely Bunker Labs. Um, you know, uh, I'm a big Grant Cardone fan. I don't know if you know Grant Cardone. Uh, I take I take his business courses. Um, that's what helped drove for uh, to 645,000. We do, we do private coaching with them. Uh, I've been to a bunch of his courses, bunch of lectures from marketing to people to sales. I think it's truly valuable um, because, like I said, every and since the beginning of this podcast, every part of my life I've always had a coach could have been music could have been sports you know teachers i've always had a coach and i think those people always make you better 
what has, or like when you were first starting out, what did you think the end goal of your business would look like? And maybe what does that look like now today? Maybe compare and contrast like your initial vision to what, where do you want to take the business in the next five years? Yeah. So when we first started with it, we should, you know, my first business was just to be in every festival just to sell cigars. Now it's changed. Now I want to become the must have experience for any type of celebration. Um, so that's changed, right? Just like anything else, but our, our goal is just to get big, you know, um, me and my business partner, we were just recently in a meeting, probably like at the beginning of this year where our guys were teaching the other new guys on how to do the events. And we're just, we're just peeking our head in. I was like, damn, bro, we actually like, this is a business now. We have our, our guy, uh, Ryan, who's a, who's a Marine who does our social media. He has all our social media st- stuff. Uh, we call him the director of propaganda. He just puts a bunch of stuff out. Yeah, we have fun with our, with our things. But um, I think it's just great just to, just to be with those certain amounts of people and, and those changes. But where we're going now is, you know, right, we're, about to, we're going to break a million this year, only do three million next year. And then by that, having three million, I want to be the best number one experience, which we are still in New Jersey, but I want a bigger slice of the pie. There's a lot of weddings that we do not have. You know, I was just talking to our sales team. I'm like, guys, there's no no reason not to find any weddings. There's, you know, close to 40,000 weddings happening this year. We only did 700. Like, let's get a thousand, 2000, right? For us to make 3 million, we have 2,500 events going on. And what that means we got, oh, we need 250 events that need to be booked every month. My apologies. And so what does that mean? And then what does that, what does our team look like? So it's building our team, being in different areas. We just, uh, we just started doing wedding expos in Florida, in the Miami, uh, Hollywood area, Fort Lauderdale area, so that we can make our business kind of like a 12 year fully rounded business where we're just doing weddings constantly, but yeah, we're, we're working on those things. So big. That's so exciting. That is a big vision. And, uh, that you got that look in your eye. I, I wouldn't bet against you. It'll be fun. (laughs) And you know, what's the best part. I'm just drinking and smoking along the way. (laughs) Right. You make it sound easy. (laughs) Yeah. But you know what? It's, uh, we all have our challenges, but you know, I, I, I'm in a, I enjoy what I do, you know, love what I do. So. If our listeners didn't take anything else from this conversation, what do you think is the one thing that we can take from you uh, learning-wise and implement in our lives today? Have someone that's 100 steps ahead of you in your life. Not five steps, but 100? 100. Why, why is that? Right. And this, this is a concept that, that I found out like a year and a half ago until I started doing Grand Cardone. They call it BHAGs, Big Hairy Audacious Goals. And you got the reason why you have big heart, heart yeah, three millions a lot. That's a three, uh, three times amount of what it looks like. But the thing is, you're asking questions that you never would have asked if you never put that gold together. So like in Bunker Labs, I'm one of the ambassadors. I'm telling people have higher goals because it's going to make you understand if you want to double your business, that means you would have to double pretty much everything. And what is that business going to look like? And not just in business, but if, if you have a coach for, your fitness, your family, your religious, your business, who's a hundred steps ahead of you to help coach you and get better. Why not? So if I could leave with that is someone who's a hundred steps ahead of you, 
but don't don't do five steps. Someone who's doing who's doing it crazy. When I was in that CEO circle, I was the smallest guy there making a million. I'm sitting with someone making 2.7, 14 million, 70 million in revenue. I want to be in that room. I want to listen. I I just want to take notes down because that's the best way to grow. You know, when you're when you're when you're the smartest person in the room, it's time to change the room. So I, I would always say find a coach, find someone who's a hundred steps ahead of you financially, in their family life, their their religious, their faith life, their fitness life, and have them because like I said, they'll 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 know what to do. And it's gonna save time. It's definitely gonna save time. Awesome. Joey, this has been a really, really fun conversation. I appreciate your transparency and sharing with us today. How can me and or the listeners be of use to you in your business, either that social, whatever? Yeah. Hey, listen, if you're having a party, if you, you belong to a business, a golf outings, or you're, you're getting married, or you know, wedding planners or venues, connect me with them. I would love to talk with them. Because like I said, we want to be the ultimate cigar experience for any celebration, the must-have experience for any celebration. Uh, I'm passionate about what we do. We're, we're so sold onto it because we know what we do. We know the impact of what our business does. Yeah, you know, someone asked, oh, cigars, you know, isn't that like, you know, tobacco? I'm like, it, the, the, the cigar is just the vessel. The opportunity is the experience to create. So if you, I would love to connect with people who are doing weddings, if you're doing golf outings, if you belong to a big business and you're doing holiday parties, I'll come out. We've been in 17 states, so we'll be good. Awesome. Joey, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. 